0: This is one of my favorite mornings of the year, and we haven't been able to do it in a few years. Um, We've got a few people that we're going to bring up this morning and talk to about what God is doing. But we didn't get to do this service last year because of COVID, and it's been quite a ride going through that. I just want to talk about that for a minute. I, I think pivot is one of the better words that I use to describe the last 19 months people working from home, people working on Zoom calls. If you think about our missionaries and what they've gone through and how they've had to pivot, it's uh, kind of exciting to see what God is doing. But putting this together, two things kept coming to mind. Number one, God is faithful. He doesn't change. And number two, God is hope. His message is one of hope and healing. Personally, during COVID, I began to look to see what God was doing. It seemed clear to me that if we know the character of God and combine it with the missionaries who are called by Him to do His work, the synergy involved in that is amazing. And that's exactly what we started to see and hear from our missionaries. We kept you up on Moment for Missions throughout the year. We would bring them in on videos. We would talk to them as things started to open up. We'd have them here. And they talked about how they would pivot and actually get more done during COVID than they did the normal way of doing things. And I thought that was really exciting to watch that. So today we're gonna talk with three people. Uh, Two come from our own congregation As you can imagine, short-term missionaries were not much of a thing for the past 18 months or so, but recently you supported Larissa Vick and Talia Martins to go on short-term missions trips this summer. You supported them in a big way, and we're going to hear from both of them, Larissa's in Omaha, and I was able to do a Zoom call with her, there's COVID again, and recorded that so she could share her story with you. Talia is here again, life changing stories that she has to share with us. Uh, but first, uh, I'm really happy to bring up Lorraine Green again. Lorraine was here back in June on her retirement tour, as I like to call it, and shared with us what 41 years in the ministry meant to her and what that was all about. Today I want to do things just a little bit differently with Lorraine and not rehash what you were talking about before, but maybe go back to the beginnings. 41 years ago, let me get this right, Cloverland Church, local girl, and somehow we get together and uh, you end up in Africa. And so I need to hear this story, but let me grab a microphone for you. And I'll have you sit down, and I'll sit down. There's the keys. So, Lorraine, when you talk about your beginnings as a missionary, what does that look like?
1: Well, I was saved at seven years old through a good news club with Ruth Waldine as my teacher. But, of course, being uh, still in the flesh, as it were, with a fatalist attitude, I thought to myself, just my luck. God is going to call me to be a missionary. <laughs> but with age and maturity comes new perspectives. When I was 16, I was listening to a sermon uh, where the pastor was asking, is Jesus really the Lord of heaven and earth? And I sat there, and I thought about it and I thought, yeah, he is. He is. And I wanted to be close to him. And that set me on a trajectory that eventually led to where I am right now here in front of you this morning. And so I'm I'm thankful that, um, I guess, if I had anything to say to the friends here this morning, I would say, first, be available. I figured if I'm gonna be a Christian for the rest of my life, I might as well prepare for it. So I went to Bible college thinking a year, and I loved my Bible studies so much, I stayed all four. Okay, so that was my story. But first thing you need to do is to be available, and then listen, listen to what God is already saying to you. And that, of course, is in the Word of God. There's pl- and then walk according to the light that is in the word. If you obey there, then the rest of it will come easily. And another thing then is to pray, to surrender. I, wasn't, I was a young person, wasn't adept at long prayers, but it was simply, Lord, show me the way. I remember saying that over and over again as I put my head down on my pillow at night, Lord, show me the way. And he did. I believed that he would. And he did. He showed me the way. So I would say that was simply um, how the Lord called me into missions was, sim- was a series of, of uh, decisions. And uh, there was no lightning bolt experience. But um, I will say that in my first year, we were studying in Genesis chapter 12. And it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a word that describes nations, tribes, clans, right down to the size of a family. You might be 45 years old, and already locked into a career and family, and you no longer have the world at your feet like you did when you were 16, 18, 20 years old. But the Lord, but start again with the very same principles to be available and to listen to what God is saying, and then uh, pray, surrender, submit to His directions, and He'll take you where He needs you to go. It might not be geographically a different location, but in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Your world might be no bigger than Douglas County, but that's big enough. <laughs> I remember I'm... Cliff Peterson. Do you remember Cliff Peterson? I do. Yeah, years ago. And uh, he said uh, he, that he wanted to go into foreign missions, and he said, God called me to Maple. <laughs> 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 that's all the further he got. And God called him to Maple. And there he served the Lord at the chapel many years.
0: Which isn't a bad thing.
1: That was a wonderful thing. Many went out from his little congregation into missions. So how do you make the transition
0: from that to Africa?
1: Well, like I said, it was a series of decisions that were small and um, relatively insignificant. Actually, when I was a junior at Bible College, I thought I would go with overseas missionary fellowship to Thailand, And I ended up with TEAM in Chad. So, um, yeah, just, you know, um, our conference speaker was uh, uh, was Richard Winchell from TEAM, and that impressed me. My parents supported missionaries with TEAM. Um, TEAM was familiar in this community of Douglas County. It just seemed natural to go with them. And then I met... um, a lady in the coffee line at the team conference who was calling for Bible teachers to go to Chad. So it was a lot of little experiences, but I'm just saying God led me all the way.
0: Imagine that, (laughs) absolutely, that's neat. Um, I wanna go just a little differently as we kind of wrap up a little bit, but what relationships have you had over the years? And let's talk that part of being a missionary relationships with other indigenous people um Mm -hmm. the teaching that you've done
1: yeah i've taught many years god's word but i would say that um as i look back the Chadians taught me more i feel like they taught me as much or more than i ever taught them i remember living next door to pastor angal paul and he was just a tremendous man of faith he read god's word and he actually believed that what it said was true. <laughs> and <laughs> he was not a medical man, but the poorest of the poor would come to him, and with just aspirins and malaria medicine, chloroquine, he could heal the most incredible diseases, <laughs> I mean, sicknesses. Um, and, and people got better, those who desperately needed him. Of course, he'd steered them to the hospital first, but when all else failed, there was prayer, and God did marvelous things through him. And then generous, honestly, if he uh, got uh, um, a gift sack of grain, he gave half of it or more to his students, to the others in need. He was extremely generous and on and on. I could say that those relationships, I learned from them as much or more than I ever taught. Mm -hmm.
0: Neat. So in in the broadest definition What does being a missionary mean to you?
1: That's a big question. Um, There is a place in the world for those who would um, go cross-culturally, take themselves, go to a foreign land, learn a language, integrate into the community, and, and share the gospel. Um, I don't want to say that a missionary calling is greater than that of an engineer, farmer, housemaker. That's not true. But it is unique. And I would like to call the pastors and the youth leaders to put before our young people missions and ministry as an option, as something to consider as a career, and ask the Lord would He direct them in that direction? Um, your pastor, bless, I'm retiring, but your pastor is also of a certain age, and the years are going by, and this it's proven through the years that in this community of northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, it's a challenging environment, just as it was in Africa. And you almost do best if you can find somebody who is from this community who would go and study and come back and be a minister here in this community because, um, like I said, the challenges of the environment. It yeah. isn't for everybody. And uh, ask Lakeview Covenant how that works. They had a pastor from California, and before that, someone from Florida. And, you know, they last a while, but then they're gone. But look at Pastor Daryl is here year after year. So um, somebody who is... From this community. So look at your congregation. Who among uh, your young couples or, or, or young people would go and train for the ministry and consider missions or ministry as a career, as a career? Mm-hmm. Neat.
0: Well, thank you. Um, we'll talk more at the, uh, at the luncheon afterwards. Yes. Yeah, we'll pray for you there too. Um, any parting thoughts from you? Anything well, you want to say?
1: As I said in June when I was here last, I am so grateful for the commitment, the the partnership that we have enjoyed through these many years and uh, the sacrifices that you have made in supporting me and others on the mission field. And that connection with your home base is so important because um, I couldn't have done it if I didn't feel that I had friends back home who were praying and caring for me. And so, again, I want to just say thank you for all that you have done for me.
0: The joy has been ours. So thank you, Lorraine. (laughs) As I said, many of you supported Larissa when she went on her Uh, trip to Ecuador. And she had been trying to go for over a year. And COVID derailed that. And she was in school and trying to fit it into school to be a nurse. She graduated from school. She, She took her boards on the way to the airport on her trip and found out the next day that she had passed And so she was able to be part of an interdisciplinary team that would go up into the mountains and do health assessments and see what needs people had. But it's an amazing story. Um, She just was blessed by this and humbled. And I think it's going to change the direction of what she chooses to do. So let me get out of the way and let's watch a quick video. Larissa Vick, I'm so happy we had this time to get together and talk a little bit and share about what's going on in your life. You're coming to us from Omaha, Nebraska, yeah. and uh, I don't know. We'll have to forgive you for moving away on us sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, congratulations on the new job and congratulations on your graduation. You. Um, we miss you around here. Yeah, I miss you guys. So you've been on a missions trip mm-hmm. to Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how that started uh, with COVID, everything going on, how did you uh, choose that?
2: Yeah, so um, in the summer of 2020, I was set to go on a trip with a team from the States to Ecuador. Um, It was a medical team and they had agreed to take me as a student, because I was still a nursing student at that point. And then for obvious reasons, that one got canceled um, in like April of 2020 um and so I was really bummed about that because I really wanted to go I was super excited I've always felt a call to missions on my life but I always kind of put it off and been like I need to graduate college first like I need to do all this stuff first and then finally that summer I was like I'm just gonna go I'm gonna do it and then it got canceled so then um I knew I was graduating this last May I emailed Dale and I just said hey I still really want to go somewhere um I'll do anything that you want. If you have nursing work for me to do somewhere, I'll do it because I'll be a nurse at that point. If you don't have nursing work for me to do, that's great. I'm willing to go between two and 10 weeks, wherever you want me to go. So just like, let me know if you have anything available. And nothing was coming up. And then in this last, like, It was probably like late April. He sent me an email and he was like, Hey, this place in Ecuador agreed to take you. I think they would have nursing work for you to do. Do you want to go? And I said, Sure. How long? And he said, They'll take you for four weeks. And I said, Perfect. I'll go then. And he said, All right, pick out some dates and let me know and we'll get back to it. And then I picked the month of July, kind of, and not knowing when I was going to be able to take the NCLEX, but praying I was going to be able to take it before then. And I picked those dates and then I just went.
0: Cool. So what's your organization you went and what did you do?
2: Yeah. So it's called um, the Santiago Partnership, which is a partner of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And what they do in Kayambe, they do a lot of things um, throughout Ecuador, but in Kayambe, what they do is they have four branches of um, like community care and ministry. So in Kayambe, which is the city I was in for the four weeks I was there, they have a medical clinic that's available for, Um, the entire community and anyone outside of the community. um, Lots of types of care there. They have a foster home that can hold up to about 20 kids um, because in Ecuador, the foster care system doesn't exist like it does here. Um, it's It's all these kids go to homes that are more like orphanages, even if the kids aren't actually orphans. So then they have a foster home and then there's two programs called prevention and intervention and what happens is they are alerted somehow I don't fully understand how they find the families but they are alerted to families that are categorized as at-risk families for whatever kind of um, situation it is be it um, abuse neglect um, like trafficking um, abandonment but a lot of really like really bad situations and then that's when they're at risk so then this team with the Santiago partnership, they have social workers, lawyers, medical people, um, program directors who go visit these families in person, explain to them why they're there, and then work with the families to provide resources so that um, things can kind of turn around for them. And usually there's kids involved and that's where the Santiago partnership gets involved so that the kids can stay with the family. Um, And then if things don't get better, when they do periodic revisits, that's when intervention would come in and things would have to change with the kids care and um, where they're staying. So those are the four things I got to go with the prevention team to families to do um, health assessments, nutrition assessments, like wellness checks on a lot of elderly and a lot of children. Um, Like a lot of uh, like growth stuff. So I was able to put in my two cents of, you know, in this family, this is a problem. These kids are too small for their age. You know, um, their hygiene isn't good. They're going to get infections of all sorts because of all these bacteria, whatever it was. Um, so I got to do a lot of assessments with that. And then I did a lot of education with them, mostly about women's health because in Ecuador women's health, like it is a lot of places is super mystical, super, like they don't talk about it and it's like really embarrassing to talk about. Um, And so we got to do a lot of the Days for Girls education, which I remember the team who went to Africa got to do a lot with Days for Girls. So we brought them the reusable um, like menstruation kits and did education with a lot of girls about that. And that was super powerful because the girls like asked me a lot of questions that they had clearly never asked anyone before. And they were too scared to ask just because of the stigma around women's health in Ecuador, but in America, and as a healthcare professional, that's like, I, we talk about anything and everything. So it was like, it didn't bother me in the slightest. And they like had questions that they needed to ask someone, but didn't know who to ask. So that was really cool to be able to do.
0: I see some public health in your future, maybe. Yes.
2: Yeah. I public, I think it's, yeah, for sure.
0: I <laughs> like it. Um, what impacted you the most?
2: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would say the whole thing impacted me like insanely, the way that the people there invited me into their culture as an obvious outsider so readily and like just loved me really well. And how well the kids loved me, even though there was like a pretty hard language barrier, like was amazing. And I wish you guys could see pictures of the kids, but we can't take pictures of them, but they were awesome. I was at the foster home for a lot of days too, um, hanging out with them, doing stuff and that yeah that was amazing um but otherwise the what impacted me a lot was just seeing the lack of access to healthcare that people who live in these villages that we are going to see because when we went out into homes it was like we were going two hours into the mountains you had to take a truck because the roads were worse than any trail in the united states like straight up horrible roads we bottomed out I can't even tell you how many times we bottomed out like it was rough access so we were going deep into the mountains and just seeing how hard it is for those people to get basic health care without assistance without like extraordinary assistance blew me away because a lot of you know, like growing up, I broke like so many bones, had so many surgeries, and always got treatment and medication and a care plan within like an hour of anything happening and pain management and there was an instance where we went and saw a girl who had broken her ankle, hadn't been seen in ten days, her family didn't want her to go to the hospital she was in like a lot of pain and it ended up being a really huge thing and she just she didn't get care for something that anyone in the United States for the most part could get ready, like ready, like very easy care for. So that was really humbling to see like just the, what I take so for granted in healthcare in the United States and being treated, they just don't have and they can't get it of no fault of their own. Like they live two hours in the mountains and they, they just can't get down. Like it's not possible to get there without a truck and help and a perfect weather day.
0: Amazing. Um, you had talked a little bit when we were talking earlier about a uh, gathering at the church mm. and kind of an, an economic piece that the church yeah. did for the uh, some families in the community. Yeah. Can you just quickly touch on that? Because I thought yeah. it was pretty neat.
2: Yeah, so there was one day where I don't know how they did it, but they got all of the at-risk families to make it down to the Covenant Church in Kayambe because they have a big like soccer coliseum. So they had this huge like rally um, at the church and I was there to do an education session on the COVID vaccine because there's a lot of stigma in Ecuador like there is everywhere about the COVID vaccine. So I got to do a, like a 30 minute presentation on that and just explain some stuff about the COVID vaccine. And then what they did was they, for each of the families that was there, these are the families in that at-risk category, so they're working with them to get them more independent financially, um, uh, everything, they're just trying to get them resources, and they gave every family that was there nine guinea pigs, because in Ecuador, guinea pig is, like, a delicacy, and if you cook guinea pig for a meal, it's, like, a really high honor, it's a big deal, so, like, for for like weddings and baby dedications and like big graduations or whatever like that's what they that's what you serve to your guests and if you can because it's very expensive and they're not big they're not that big a lot of them they can get to be this big in Ecuador I learned it was alarming but like most of them are like you know maybe a little bigger than what we have but got to buy a lot of guinea pigs if you're going to have people for dinner. So anyways, they gave each family nine guinea pigs so that they could reproduce the guinea pigs, sell them to people who can afford to buy them because they're very popular in Ecuador. And then um, the deal was that these families reproduce the guinea pigs and periodically give a couple back to the church so that the church can give more guinea pigs to more families to sell for more money. And so at, at the Brilliant. thing, they gave people boxes of guinea pigs and we actually, I went with a team one day to see a family and they weren't able to make it to the church and we hand delivered nine guinea pigs. So I was walking up a mountain carrying a box of three guinea pigs and it was just a cardboard box. Like it wasn't sealed that well. And all three of them rammed their bodies against this side of the box at the same time. And I almost dropped the box, but I didn't praise God. That would have been so bad if I had let those guinea pigs go. And yeah. So that is real life. Like we delivered guinea pigs to a home for someone to start like a guinea pig entrepreneurship. That was really cool.
0: That is so cool. Yeah. Larissa, we'll pray for you, keep you in our prayers. Um, thank you for doing this and giving us an update. And, uh, I think we are starting to support with that extra money that you collected, the organization that you were with and moving forward, we'll, we'll see what we can do, but thank you. Yeah, And uh, it it sounds like great things are happening.
2: Yeah, it's an amazing ministry. The amount of things that they are doing outside of everything I talked about is like, it's crazy what they're doing. So if you have any interest in learning more about this part of the Santiago Partnership, please do, because it's like their ministry there is like so real. Like, it's awesome.
0: Larissa Vick, I'm so happy we had this time to get together and talk a little bit and share about what's going on in your life. You're coming to us from Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, I don't know, we'll have to forgive you for moving. Take a short-term mission trip, they said. It'll be fun, they said. Guinea pigs, you never know what you're going to get into. Uh, Jennifer was able to go down for the final week and teach English uh, while she was there as well, so the Vicks are doing very well. Uh, finally, Talia Martins uh, went on a trip. You supported her very well uh, with Youth for a Mission. So, we talked this week about uh, your experience a little bit. So, three and a half weeks in Montana with YYM, Youth with a Mission, uh, training for three hours a day, covering topics like hearing God's voice, you said, evangelism, and the character and nature of God, among other topics. We talked about the character and nature of God a little bit cuz that intrigued me. What impressed or impacted you the most about that topic?
3: So one thing that really stood out for me for that topic was our teacher said all of us wear some glasses that have lenses what we see through how we view God and Those lenses get clouded over with um, pain that we go through, um, experiences, good and bad, other, like, friend experiences and just opinions and emotions, and those lenses get clouded over, and our view of God changes. And what God does is cleans that lens, and so you can view him in a new way. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> that is pretty neat. That, that is very true. Um, we won't dive in a lot, but mm-hmm. you had COVID during that time and was quarantined for 10 days, you said, mm-hmm. but you were still cleared and ready to go to the Dominican Republic um, and then spent four weeks there. Yeah. What did you do at the Dominican, in the Dominican Republic?
3: Well, with COVID and everything, God timed it perfectly. I got out of quarantine the day before we left. (laughs) So it was pretty amazing in that way. But what we did in the Dominican is everything that we learned in Montana, we kind of put in action once we got there. We did a lot of evangelisms. We did two to three uh, VBSs a week. We did morning, afternoon, and evening church services. And we would visit different villages around us between like 15 to two hours away. And we would go around and meet the locals. And we'd get to know their family. And they were just more than welcome, welcoming to us to talk about their family and their life experiences. And then we would ask if... They, would, they needed prayer for anything, and everybody we've asked that question, they had something to pray for, and, which was really awesome. And we got to um, lead one woman to Christ, which was really cool.
0: <laughs> I, and I think that's really cool when we were talking about that, that just a simple question like that um, opens the door. You can talk about God and, and His character, and that's that's really neat. Um, what else did you do? Anything?
3: Um. So for our VBSs, we there was at least between thirty to two hundred kids at our VBSs, oh. and it was crazy, kind of chaos at some of them because there's. So many kids, and it was kind of hard to gather them in one spot because all they wanted to do was play. But we definitely impacted a lot of kids, and we found out that coloring is a huge thing in the Dominican, and they love to color. So that was really awesome.
0: That is really awesome. Uh, Thank you for going. Uh, Would you go again?
3: Definitely. (laughs) Good,
0: (laughs) good, good, sweet. Well, thank you
3: and thank you everybody for making this experience happen it's i've been very blessed so thank you Thanks, nice John.
0: so looking back through covid uh it's been difficult on a lot of us i was in a class where pastor nathan was teaching in a high school class and he asked the question What have you lost during COVID? And I thought that was a brilliant question. I've never heard it asked quite like that. The students responded. Uh, They said, I lost my senior year, or I lost sporting events that I should have been able to go to. I've lost friends or the ability to get together, even family members. Frankly, Cam and I have lost nine relatives, none to COVID. But from a 99-year-old uncle to Cam's baby sister and her mother, it's been a tough year. And as I look back, I ask, was God still there? Our Bible passage this morning I chose because it tells us that we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out onto our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's what our missionaries have been telling us. Do you have that hope? I think about how you share that hope with others you know. In 2 Corinthians 5, which was covered just a couple weeks ago by Pastor Darrell, Paul said, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I ask you after you hear these missionaries today, what is God saying to you? I'm going to give you a chance to reflect on that question in just a minute. I know that everyone here this morning, either online or in person, is at a different place. Some are here because that's what you've always done on a Sunday morning for a long time. If that's you, I'm going to challenge you to make a decision to be reconciled to God right here and right now. Others may have heard a story this morning that's calling you to go deeper, which is really cool. You're wondering what it might be like to go on a missions trip to meet people that aren't like you. Maybe Douglas County has been good for you for a lot of years and you're thinking you want to expand on that. I'll encourage you, go. Maybe you just want to serve another way. I think Mission Kids has an 11 o'clock meeting today. Feel free to uh, hop in and serve there. Maybe Maple is the area that you're called to serve. But whatever God is calling you to do, Whatever role you would have, he would have you play, I'm going to encourage you to say yes today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't change. We know that your heart is for the lost and that you work with people all around the world so that glory is brought to you. Father, we pray for our missionaries that are in different stages of life. We lift up Lorraine to you and ask that you give her rest in retirement, but also that you use her to make yourself real to others. We lift up Larissa as she starts this new job. We pray that you make a clear path for her to accomplish what you have for her. And Talia, we thank you for the heart that this young lady has. Father, stand beside her and guide her as she makes decisions and commitments in her life. For each person here this morning that wants to go deeper in you, we pray that they take the next step, that you meet them and give them a clear vision of what that means for them. You are God, and we praise you for what you continue to do, even when we don't see you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.